God, we thank you for your peace. Thank you for the assurance that uh, you love us and that you have done what is necessary for us to be back in relationship with you. God, uh, we pray that that's the message that the children receive, the youth receive downstairs. We thank you that they can uh, have time of fellowship together and um, learn your word in a way that's uh, appropriate at their age level. Lord, we pray for the uh, blessing on their teachers. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would give them uh, clarity in their communication of the gospel message um, to the children, but also for themselves so that they might know it. Lord, and as we uh, submit ourselves to your word this morning, we ask that uh, your word would bless us, that it would encourage us, that in it we would find hope. Lord, that in you we would find hope. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us first. Be with us now as we uh, come to this time of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it is the first Sunday in Advent, this time of preparation uh, where we uh, ready ourselves for the coming of Christ. In this Advent season, we're going to begin a journey through the book of Ruth, uh, a short story in the Old Testament, uh, four, four chapters in the book of Ruth, uh, a beautiful, beautiful narrative. Anybody read through the book of Ruth? Does anybody know this story? Yeah, okay, a couple people. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, go through the book of Ruth and uh, tie it into some Advent themes. Uh, before I do that, just a reminder that every Wednesday morning, 8.20 to 8.50, we are in the sanctuary praying for the needs of, uh, the, needs of the church. Um, so if you, are, uh, if you have the availability and you feel so led uh, to come and pray with us every Wednesday morning at 8.20 for a half hour. Ruth chapter 1, looking at all of Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. If you, uh, if you need the words, they're up on the screen. Within your Bible in the Old Testament, Joshua judges Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Well, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you and to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. 
At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hopeless. Hopeless. The belief that things are not going to get any better. The thought that life will either stay the same in its poor condition or that it's just going to get worse. Hopeless. It's a, it's a feeling of despair. It's a, it's a dark feeling. Hopeless. Naomi is hopeless. But the story doesn't start that way. No, the story actually starts from a place of fullness, a place of, of hope. We read that Naomi has a husband named Elimelech. And in this, in this time and in this culture, this is everything. She has a husband, which mean that, means that she has a name. It means that she's protected. It means that she is provided for. Not only she has a husband, she has children. And not just children, she has sons. Not just one son, but two sons, Malan and Kilian. These sons will take care of Elimelech and Naomi as they age. They will carry on the family name. They will be able to receive the inheritance. Things are looking good. Things are uh, looking bright. This is, this is a, a place of hope. Naomi uh, has been blessed by the Lord. But almost as uh, reminiscent of the story of Job, uh, her circumstances change very quickly in this narrative. It's a very abrupt uh, flip of what is going on. Well, after they, they leave Bethlehem, Judah... They leave this to go east to Moab. And if you, if you uh, have in your mind uh, kind of the, the biblical narrative, anytime Israel moves east, this is not a good thing. Uh, when Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, they are, they are sent east. Uh, Cain and Abel, um, uh, Cain is sent east. Uh, Esau moves east. The Babylonian uh, exile, uh, they, they move east. So 
um, Elimelech and Naomi, they move east. And soon after this, we read that uh, Elimelech dies. We don't know how he dies, but uh, this narrative makes it happen very suddenly that that he dies. So Naomi is now widowed. So not only is she going through this intense grieving of uh, losing her spouse, well, and now she is the one who is responsible for the family in this male-dominated culture. All the responsibility now falls to Naomi. So she goes and she gets uh, wives for her two sons, Malan and Kilian. As she gets wives, they, they, marry, um, they marry Ruth and Orpah, but they're, they're in the land for, for 10 years, and we read that suddenly they too die. So the situation gets even more desperate because now there are no more males left in the family, no one to provide for them, no one uh, to protect them, no one to carry on the family name. But if that's not bad enough, still it gets worse. Because this whole time that they have been in this foreign land, this land of Moab, we do not read about any children coming from these two couples, from Malon and Kilian. They're from, uh, we don't read any offspring being produced, so we're left to assume that Ruth and Orpah are barren. What started off as a very uh, hopeful Naomi A happy family, husband, wife, two sons to boot, moving over to Moab in the hopes of finding food. Now it becomes uh, this desperate situation she is in this foreign land, essentially alone without uh, protection, without provision, without any hope of a future. Will things get better? Well, Naomi goes back to Bethlehem with these words. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. No, call me Mara. Call me bitter, for the Lord's hand has turned against me. Hopeless. Hopeless. Well, the time that we are living in today is not an easy one. We have, uh, we have more comforts, We have advanced technology. We have more luxuries probably uh, than ever before. But I don't think that this has translated into an increased sense of hope in our culture, in our society, in our world. Now, I don't think the equation uh, comfort plus technology plus luxury is equal to hope. I was reading on um, the Reddit. Does Does anybody ever go on Reddit? Okay, maybe. Maybe you do, you just don't want to raise your hand. But I was on Reddit. I was, uh, this is a place where people can ask questions and exchange information. Uh, but there was a 20-something that was asking a question about their purpose in life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you two of the responses uh, that, this, uh, that came up on Reddit. One response. Something on this planet made specifically for you? Nothing. Period. No part of the known universe was waiting your arrival, and existence was never lacking you to become complete. Other response. Dude, there is no purpose. We hope that there is a purpose so that it'll all make sense, but the truth is, we don't know why we're here. We don't know where we go after we die. Maybe there's a point, or maybe it's meaningless. You will never know. Hopeless. 
Now, we may scoff at these comments. We may be surprised by them, but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised because this is, this is not an uncommon sentiment. This is very common. We are, we are moving towards uh, hopelessness. This is our trajectory. And it kind of makes sense if you look at the things that are going on in the world. You have uh, this, this war between Israel and Palestine. We have this all-but-forgotten war between the Ukraine and Israel. Uh, we have uh, these changing climate patterns that are uh, devastating communities and ecosystems. Uh, Americans, us as Americans, we are living lonelier lives. There's an opioid uh, epidemic going on. And this doesn't even start to touch our, our, our personal lives, what is going on in our lives as individuals. If you think about it, there's strained relationships, there's broken marriages. We have trouble at school, we have trouble at work, we have our own health issues. Now, who, here, who here doesn't have any health issues? I, I, have, a, I have health issues too. We are moving uh, in this, this trajectory, and sometimes, uh, sometimes we don't even know what it is. Sometimes we can't put our finger on it, but we just we have these times. And sometimes it's minutes. Hopefully it's minutes and maybe even hours, but sometimes there are longer periods of time, maybe of days or weeks or months, where life just feels hopeless. We find ourselves asking the question, is this all there is? Is life ever going to get any better? A year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, are things going to get any better? Are things going to change? Our trajectory, my guess, we think about us maybe becoming healthier people as a culture and as a society and as a world, but my thought and the way that I perceive it is that we are moving in a trajectory towards hopelessness. Well, Naomi, Naomi is hopeless. Naomi is bitter. Naomi is very bitter. Don't call me pleasant. No, call me bitter. The Lord has come against me. I don't blame her for this, but she she is so overtaken by her circumstances. She is so clouded over by the hopelessness by the lack of anything good that could happen in her life that she is completely missing. God starting to work and starting to move in her life because this is what God is doing. God is moving toward the good of his people because God is a God of hope. God is a God of hope and he is bringing hope through this unexpected way. He is bringing hope to Naomi through this character, this person of Ruth. Now, Ruth, at this point in the story, at this point in the narrative, she has absolutely nothing to offer to Naomi. Ruth has nothing to offer. Naomi does not have any more sons, so there's no one else to marry off uh, for Ruth. Ruth, uh, it seems that she is uh, unable, she's unable to bear children. And so there is nothing uh, that would lead Naomi to say, yes, um, we will have an heir that comes from our line through you and we're going to extend it. And on top of this, we know that Ruth, she's a Gentile. She is non-Jewish. She's not a part of the Hebrew people. Not only is she Gentile, she's a Moabite. 
If you know the history of Israel and Moab, uh, these, these people do not mix well. They are not friendly. Now, obviously, in this time, there was, there was enough peace to where they could go and live, live in the land of Moab. Uh, but uh, over the course of years, of centuries, uh, there is this, uh, this tension between the Israelites and the Moabites. So Ruth, if she goes to go with, um, with Naomi, she can expect to be uh, treated pretty unfairly, pretty prejudiced. Well, at this point in the narrative, Ruth has absolutely nothing to offer to Naomi. In fact, she is more of a liability because she's a widow. She's another hungry mouth that needs to be fed. She is somebody else. She's another young woman that needs protection. So it's no wonder why Naomi does not jump at the opportunity. It's no wonder why Naomi is not excited to have her daughter-in-law coming along with her. But what Ruth has, she offers to Naomi. Ruth offers her loyalty. Ruth offers her devotion. Where you go, that's where I'm going to go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Where you die, this is where I am going to die too. Now, it would have been perfectly reasonable, understandable. It would have made the most sense for Ruth to do what Orpah did, for her to go back home. Because back at home, she could have went and lived with her parents. She would have been provided for. She would have been protected. She's young enough to where she could have remarried. And who knows, maybe with a new husband, she would have been able to bear children. She would have been with her own people, living in a culture that was familiar, with gods that were familiar, with a language that was familiar. But Ruth turns from this easy and convenient uh, way of life, and she says, no, I am going to cling to you. I am going to be with you through thick and thin. I am committing myself to you. She goes to the point where she says, even in death, where you die, that's where I'm going to die. So when you die, I, even though I'll probably still be young enough to go off and get married, I am, I am not going to go back to Moab when, I, when you die. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to cling to you even in death. And she even raises it up a level as she says, uh, she, she, she pronounces this divine curse upon herself if even death separates them. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely should death even separate us. Ruth is fully, deeply, radically committing herself to this, to this woman. And you think, well, maybe, maybe Naomi was, was a fun person to be around. You think Naomi was a fun person to be around? Her mother-in-law? <laughs> Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. There is nothing in this for Ruth. She, she is looking forward to a barren life in a foreign land with people who will most likely not receive her, with a woman who is hopeless, with a woman who is bitter. But this is God's plan. This is the plan for God to bring hope to Naomi. This is the plan for God to bring hope, redemption, and restoration to his people Israel. God is going to use Ruth, this widow, this barren girl, this Gentile Moabite, to bring hope. And it is in this person, in this character, in her actions and in her attitudes, where we get a foretaste, where we get a glimpse of Jesus Christ.
Because the person that we, the person that God sends to us, the person that God gives to us to give us hope, gives up no less. From eternity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been together in perfect fellowship up in heaven. So imagine, imagine yourself that you are at a party. Imagine that you are at a party with people that you love. Not just people that you love, that people, people that love you the exact way that you need to be loved. At this party, it's comfortable, it's fun, it's warm, it's cozy, it's everything that you need it to be. You never want this party to end. It is absolute perfect. So this is what Jesus has up in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the perfect fellowship of the Trinity dwelling together. And Jesus gives this up. Jesus leaves the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. Why? Does the party end? Is he kicked out of the party? No, out of love. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, sees what is going on with his people, sees the broken condition of his people. He sees their pain. He sees their suffering. He sees their sin. He sees their hopelessness. He sees our hopelessness. And he decides to come down to us. Leaves the perfect fellowship of heaven to come down to live among us, to come down to live as one of us. Well, this gift of hope, this gift of redemption uh, that is packaged in uh, this barren, uh, foreign, uh, widowed uh, Ruth, it's kind of like the package that comes to us, uh, this infant, this infant who is wrapped up in swaddling cloth, who is laid in a feeding trough, completely unexpected. But this is our hope. This is who God sends to us that to change everything, to restore our lives, to give us redemption. Because this baby would grow up to be a man and this man would live a perfect life and this man again would give it all up for us. This man would willingly go to the cross for the sins that he did not commit, taking on the punishment and the shame taking on God's wrath upon himself for us so that we might know life, so that we might know hope, so that we might know restoration. No, life is not easy right now. Some of us are bitter. Some of us are lonely. Some of us are despairing. Some of us have lost hope. But we are confident, we are confident that Jesus Christ has come to us. Jesus Christ has fully committed himself to us. To be born as one of us, to die for our sins, and now he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Know this, that I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now with this hope that is given to us, this confidence that we have, this hope that bubbles up from us, what do we do? It flows out of us. It pours out of us. And now this hope that we have allows us to radically give ourselves to others, to radically commit our lives to the care for the sake of others.
so that they might know that there is a God who loves them, a God who longs to be in relationship with them, a God who will never leave them or forsake them, a God who has come to them too in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.